This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women and addiction. Welcome to 2022. Welcome to a new year and another episode here at the Worth Recovery Podcast. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. I'm a sex addict and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. And I'm excited to be with you in a new year and to talk to you a little bit about some things that are recovery related, that are important for recovery, that are important for sex addiction recovery, particularly um, and also just share my own experiences and my, my own recovery journey with you. So today I want to talk um, a little bit about New Year's resolutions, goals, planning, targets, whatever it is you want to call them, but particularly about the implementation of these ideas, um, the goals, planning, targets, those types of things. I, I love a new year. I absolutely love a new year. I love this time of year. The week between Christmas and New Year's, I think, is probably one of my most favorite weeks of the whole year. I was going to say that, but then I was like checking in with myself. Is that true? That is totally true. One of my favorite weeks of the entire year is the week between Christmas and New Year's, which is when I'm recording this, but will be last week for when I release this. For me, it's like I can take all of the hope, the love, the excitement, the motivation, that everything that I get during the Christmas season and bring that into the new year with new goals, new targets, new life. Everything feels possible to me at the beginning of a new year. And I, I love that. Many people, of course, talk about New Year's resolutions. And there's a lot of, I would, I would call it like controversy or arguments about goal setting or resolution setting. And I know I've talked a little bit about this before in previous episodes. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about it again with a little bit different framework today. So statistically, because you know me, I love mathematics and love the statistics of things. So I I will put the link to this research that I found in uh, the show notes so you can look at it there. But of those that make New Year's resolutions, after one week, only 75% are still working on keeping it or keeping it. So you might make a New Year's resolution and when the first week you might drop off, you'd be part of that 25% that drops off. After two weeks, the number drops to 71%. After one month, the number drops to 64%. After six months, only 46% of people who make a resolution are still successful in keeping it. And by the end of the year, only 9% feel they are successful in keeping their New Year's resolution. So 9%, let's just be generous and say 10 because that makes the math easier. So 10% of people keep their New Year's resolution. So of 100 people that set resolutions or set goals at the beginning of the year, only 10 of ten people of those 100 will stay um, towards the end of the year. And we'll keep that, keep that going until the end of the year. So 10%, which I thought was an interesting number, 10%, because 
the best statistics I can find on AA, so 12-step addiction recovery, is that one in 18 stay in recovery. So that's only 5%, 5.5%. So you have a better chance of keeping your New Year's resolution, 10% of people, let's even just say nine, okay, 9% of people, than you do of staying in AA, which is only 5.5%. I'd venture to say that's probably true across most of the um, fellowships, most of the 12-step fellowships, uh, five, let's say 5%. I think that might be generous actually with some of the 12-step fellowships, that 5% of people stay in the fellowship for a year or more. 10% keep their New Year's resolutions, only 5% stay in recovery. So as addicts or people with addictive tendencies, we definitely need to look at our commitment level, right? We we belong to a fellowship sometimes, a 12-step fellowship that is there to support us, guide us, help us, move us through, and we can't do that. So we need to look at our commitment level, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this today. Um, I also think it's interesting to look at the most popular resolutions from 2020. So this was last year. So the most popular resolutions were all health-related, eating healthier, exercising more, losing weight, those types of things. Those were kind of the top resolutions for 2020. But if you live in the U.S., the southern states, um, the top resolution was to drink less alcohol, which I also think is really interesting. In those southern states, the top resolution was to drink less alcohol. Now, if you're a generational person, you like to look at Gen Z and millennials and all that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily love that, but I thought it was really interesting that Gen Z, again, according to this research, I found um, that their most popular resolution among Gen Z was finding love, um, finding a partner, finding uh, love in that way, which I feel like is related. I feel like all those things are related here because we know that sex addiction is an intimacy disorder. And part of that is the lack of ability to stay in a relationship or to have a healthy relationship. Or the opposite would be the lack of ability to stay out of a relationship that's not good for you. And so I think it's really interesting that we have this, I want to find love. And then of course, alcohol we know is addictive and we have a lot of comorbidity between alcoholism and sex addiction, right? Bill W. spoke about that a lot, actually. They didn't call it sex addiction then, but... In the AA Big Book, he talks a lot about our sexual behaviors and being able to to make amends for those and to um, act differently. So there you go. There's some statistics for those of you that are mathematically inclined like me or if you just find that interesting. But I, I personally am a huge believer in second chances and starting over. Huge. I think that the world sends us that message every day that we can always start over. The days, the weeks, the months, the seasons, the years, they all start over regularly. And I just feel like that's a message from the universe, from our higher power, that we too can start over whenever we need to. At any point in time, we can start over and we can have change. I believe in starting over. I believe in change. I wouldn't do what I'm doing with my life as far as being a therapist or... Um, being a recovery coach, if I didn't believe that. Both coaching and therapy involve the belief in change, the belief that I can make 
different choices and that I can build a different life. But the real question, I think, because I think everybody believes that. I think everybody believes in change. That's We have so many movies and so much media about the possibility of change and the ability that we have to make different choices and to change our lives. I don't think that anybody questions that. I think the question or the place to put the most emphasis is how do we get the change to stick? To me, that's the real question. How do we get the change to stick, right? Because only 10% of people get their New Year's resolutions to stick. Only 5% of people stay in AA recovery. So that's the problem. It's It's getting that change, that new attitude, that new behavior to stick. I really believe that change fatigue is a real thing. Um, If we're not making progress, we get tired of starting over and over and over again. It can be very discouraging and it can leave us feeling hopeless and feeling like we're incapable or we're unable to make these changes that we want in our life. And that fatigue that sets in from starting over and over and over is real. And so we have to be more intentional with our implementation of our change if we want it to stick. Again, we have to be more intentional with the implementation of the change if we want it to stick. Over the years, as I've consulted with schools, with school districts, with businesses, with individuals, with nonprofit organizations, I've often used a framework for sustainable change that I found in a book about education. The book's titled Restructuring for More Effective and Caring Education, and they present a what's called an implementation framework. That's what they call it, the implementation framework for sustainable change. So they talk about five, they give us a formula. They give us five components in this formula that if we add them all together, we equal sustainable change. And of course, you know, again, because my mathematical brain loves a formula. I just love that idea. Um, I've created a graphic that kind of explains it and talks about it. Um, You can download that from the show notes, but I'm going to talk you through it a little bit as we talk about, as we go through kind of what that implementation framework is. Because that's where the magic is, people. Like, we, we all want to change. I think there's not a person on the planet who doesn't want something in their life to change. We want a change. And we want our life to be different in some way. Or we want the lives of someone else to be different in some way. And this formula tells us that in order to have a sustainable change, change that sticks, change that endures, change that transforms us, we have to have these five steps in place. It takes kind of these five things in order to create that sustainable change. Those five things are vision, skills, incentives, resources, and an action plan. So if you download the graphic, it will show you vision plus skills, plus incentives, plus resources, plus an action plan gives us sustainable change. Those five things added together can result in that change that we want for our lives. That change might be sobriety for you. It might be a different approach to relationships. It might be a healthier living habits as far as change with eating or exercise or weight. Whatever it is that you want, we have to have these five steps in order to create that sustainable change. Vision, skills, incentives, resources, and action plan. 
Now, what I like to do when I um, do this in consulting groups or with people, I'll first ask, when have you seen sustainable change in your life or in your place of business or your employment or different things like that? Where have you seen sustainable change? And we'll talk about those different things. Um, for me, one of the areas I've seen sustainable change in my own life is definitely in my sobriety. I've been sober now for nine years, just over nine years. I've been in recovery for 10 and a half years, in active recovery, I would say, for 10 and a half years. And that's, that's massive. That's a massive change for my life. I spent decades acting out. I spent decades trying to find relationships. Um, I spent decades doing things that were actually harmful, thinking that they were going to get me to the place I wanted to go, but they didn't. Um, and to be able to say now that like I've been in recovery for a, a decade, 10 years, 10 and a half years, and that of that 10 and a half years, nine I have spent sober. Now the first year and a half, I've talked often that it took me 18 months to find a sobriety that worked. It took me 18 months to build new skills. It took me 18 months to understand kind of what was happening in the process and the planning and all the different things that were going on in my brain and then to be able to change that. It took me 18 months to do that because I kept relapsing in different ways. And so I love that I can say that the sustainable change I've seen in my life is definitely that my sobriety and my recovery. And I've been able to sustain that. It takes constant evaluation, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, but that's a sustainable change I've seen in my life. I hope as I've been talking, you've been able to think of a sustainable change that you have seen in your own life. And you might want to just kind of think about that for a minute, maybe even pause and think about that for a minute and think about, did you have all of those pieces in place, vision, skills, incentives, resources, and action plan in order to create that sustainable change? Now, let's talk about each of these pieces just for just quickly, each of these five pieces, and then what happens if they're not in place? So the first one is vision. We have to have a vision of what we want to change. And when I start with my coaching clients, one of the things I have them talk about is their dreams and their dreads, because I think vision really has to incorporate a lot of different ideas. It's not just what I want to have happen. That's part of my vision, but also what's that going to feel like? What's that going to look like? Um, also, I would say like, what do I dread happening? That's part of my vision. Like if I keep going down this path, this path that I don't want to do, that what's going to happen? And so being able to see both of those sides is really, I feel like really important in sustainable change. But as I've used this over the years, I've also thought about, okay, what happens if I don't have sustainable, what happens if I don't have a vision? What happens if the vision's not there? Let's say everything else is in place, but just not a vision. And that creates a red flag in our process of change here. And that red flag is confusion. When I don't have a vision, I often feel confused. And the people that I'm trying to lead maybe into change or the people that I'm trying to influence or the people around me may also feel confused because I lack a vision. And without that vision, I can't have sustainable change. The second piece of sustainable change is skills. I have to have the skills in order to make that change happen and stay changed. I know in recovery, um, we have to have a lot of different skills because recovery is just a coping mechanism, not recovery, sorry. Addiction is just a coping mechanism. 
addiction is a coping mechanism that we use. And so in order to cope differently, I have to have different skills. I have to be able to see my addictive cycle. I have to be able to understand the off ramps that I have on that cycle so that I don't end up at the bottom wondering what just the hell happened to me, right? And so I've got to have skills to be able to work through those things. I've got to have skills to be able to feel my emotions, all sorts of different skills that I have to have in order to change and live a sober life. What happens if I don't have skills? Well, I think that creates a lot of anxiety. I remember when I first was moving from Washington to Utah, where I live now, I was going to be um, moving into a a place by myself, living alone. I've lived alone in the past. It wasn't living alone that was scaring me. What was kind of scaring me is the fact that I was living alone sober. And I hadn't done that before. (laughs) I'd only lived alone um, when I was acting out. And when you live alone and you're acting out, it sure creates easy acting out opportunities. But when you're living with someone, um, I was living with my sister at that time, it's really difficult to kind of navigate acting out or bringing, uh, doing things that, um, when you have got someone else in the house. And so I had some anxiety about living alone and being sober. And I was grateful for a therapist and a sponsor and different people that helped me kind of gain some skills and learn some new ideas that would help me to get through that, which I did. And I've lived by myself now for, I don't know, eight years. And I think ish somewhere like that without a lot of anxiety. And it's been great. It's been great. But if I don't have those skills, think about like your first few days trying to get sober. What do you do? You always are questioning. I was always questioning myself. Okay, what do I do? What do I do in this situation? What do I do in this situation? How do I handle this without acting out? We have a lot of anxiety around that when we don't have enough skills. The next piece is incentives. And usually when we talk about incentives, we're talking about monetary incentives, but I would challenge you to really think about different set to incentives differently. It's not about money that you're going to get, but it's about the gains that you're going to make, right? It's about the the rewards that come from this change in your life, whether that's losing weight, whether that's feeling better, whether that's sleeping better, whether that's living a sober life, whether that's less guilt and shame in your life, you're going to have some incentives for this change that you want to have and you want to make. And you've got to be very uh, explicit and very uh, specific about what you believe those incentives are. I think that's also can aid in your vision, right? Um, When you understand the benefits of what's going to happen. Now, what happens? What's the red flag that we hit if we don't have incentives? Well, if you've ever tried to lead a team into a big change and they don't understand the incentives, what you hit, that red flag that you hit is resistance. And it's a pretty significant red flag. Um, If you've tried to ever lead a team or lead people into a big change, I did one with a big computer programming change that we were making at a company. And there's a lot of resistance because they're used to doing it a specific way. Some people have done it that way for a long time. You might have done something that way for a very long time and now you're trying to get yourself to do it differently. And if we don't have the incentives, if we don't understand the benefits, then we're going to hit resistance within ourselves. And so we have to really be clear about that. Um, As a therapist, when I'm working with people that have addictive behavior, I always look for this switch. A lot of times, um, particularly if the person is in a marriage or in a, in a long-term relationship, they come in for therapy because they've been threatened. 
or because they've been found out. And so the incentive is, well, I want to keep my marriage. That's the incentive. I want to keep my family. I want to keep my job. I want to keep my relationship. And and that's kind of that um, incentive that they see. Now, external incentives work for a period of time. But if I don't internalize that incentive, if I don't realize I want to get sober for myself, I want my life to change because I want to do it for me. I don't really care about, you know, the benefits to other people. I care about the benefits to me. I always look for that switch, right? When that incentive becomes internalized instead of externalized. And we've got to really look at that in our sustainable change of those incentives being internalized. It doesn't always happen that way and that's fine. I think a lot of change starts from external motivation, but we have to, if we want that change to be sustainable, that has to become internalized. Okay, that's number three. So number four in our list, right? So we've talked about vision, which if there's no vision, without vision, we end up with confusion. We've talked about without skills, we end up with anxiety. Without incentives, we end up with resistance. Number four is resources. We have to have the resources that we need in order to make that change. And again, don't just think about resources as money because there's a lot of resources we need that isn't money related because I know a lot of addicted people that have unlimited financial resources and yet they're still living very addictive life. Um, So resources have more to do with support networks. They have more to do with access to knowledge, access to therapy, access to different types of resources that are going to help us along our way. So it's not just about money. It's about a variety of other skills as well and a variety of other people and a variety of other ways that we can resource ourselves. And what happens if we don't have those resources? I, I know as a teacher, I felt really frustrated when I didn't have resources for, I needed for my kids. And that's the red flag that we hit, right? Is that we get really frustrated when we don't have access to the resources that we want or the resources that we need. And that's that kind of red flag that happens when we, when we, don't, when we can't make that step happen in the implementation framework. And then the last piece of the framework is an action plan. We have to have a plan. We have to have an action plan that's going to move us forward in this change, that's going to help us be accountable to ourselves, to others if needed, in order to make this change happen. And what happens if you don't have an action plan? Well, the red flag that you hit when you don't have an action plan is false starts. We start something and then it goes by the wayside. And we start something and then it goes by the wayside. And we start something and then it goes by the wayside, right? And we don't we don't follow through and we lack um, that discipline or that commitment to get all the way through without an action plan and we have these false starts. So one more time, it's vision plus skills plus incentives plus resources plus an action plan. So that's five things that create sustainable change. And without that vision, we get confusion. Without the skills, we have anxiety. Without the incentives, we end up with resistance. Without the resources, we end up with frustration. And without an action plan, we end up with false starts. No matter when you decide to make a change, it might not be right now. This might not be the best time for you this time of year in order to make a change. Okay. 
But whenever you decide to make a change, a change that you want to stick in your life, you need these five pieces in order for that change to be sustainable, in order to make it stick. In recovery, for whatever you're recovering from, whether that's addiction, even trauma or betrayal, whatever it is, these five pieces are necessary. And as you grow in recovery, as some of your changes start to take root and start to grow, you have to evaluate how this is working for you, how these pieces are working. You have to intentionally evaluate your vision, your skills, your incentives, your resources, and your action plan and make necessary changes as you go along. For me, that's what New Year's is all about. It's that opportunity for me to evaluate what I've been doing and decide if that is working for me or not, because I think that's a huge piece that we sometimes forget. What is working? What is not working? What needs to be tweaked or changed? It's an opportunity for look for me to look at the changes that I've made this last year and evaluate what sustainable changes I want to keep for the year and to figure out how I'm going to do that. And then also for me to look at new ideas or new changes that I need to make. Um, I always look at what vision do I need or how does my vision need to change? What skills do I need? What incentives will work for me? What resources do I need? And what is my plan? As I've grown in recovery, like I said, I've been sober nine years, um, 10 and a half years in active recovery. I've made plenty of mistakes, <laughs> lots and lots of mistakes. I can look back at periods of my recovery where I had no vision and I felt really confused about why I was doing what I was doing. Maybe things weren't lining up the way I wanted or I wasn't getting the results I wanted. And, and so I felt like I didn't have a vision and I felt really confused. I can look at times without skills. I talked about that and I had huge amounts of anxiety, like when I moved and was going to be living by myself. I can look at periods where I had lack of incentive or lack of motivation and I ended up feeling really resistant to myself, to my therapist, um, to everything. I was just resistant to any type of change or any anything that anybody was giving me. I definitely can look over these nine years and have a lack of resources where I ended up frustrated. Um, when I moved to Utah, I also had to switch therapists and I felt this lack of support or lack of resource around that. Um, I have had periods of time where my sponsors have uh, left recovery or gone out back out there. And so I'm left again without, without resources um, or I've been frustrated in trying to find the resources that I need. I also went through a big um, period of time of, of pretty serious poverty um, and in recovery and, and trying to figure out a lot of different things in my life. And so there, there's been a lack of resources there and I was frustrated. But probably the most for me um, is false starts. I, I, can, I can usually line up those first four pieces really well. <laughs> Vision, I can you know project goals, I can do all sorts of things. Um, I, can t I can look at the skills that I need to make that happen. I can find uh, incentives. What, what benefit am I going to get out of this? Why is this necessary in my life? I can do that. I can find resources. There's been struggles, but I have also been able to make huge gains in finding the appropriate resources or the right resources. Where I sometimes fall down, and I have fallen down a lot, is in action planning. And you would think, hello, I'm the planner, right? Like, why can't I do that? And I think as I've really reflected over this and preparing for this podcast and also in preparing for the new year, because I've had some fault starts in the last, I don't know, three years that have 
really been weighing on me. Um, things that I've started and haven't been able to sustain. And I think as I've reflected and as I've written and prayed and meditated and all sorts of stuff, my biggest evaluation or my biggest learning from this last year is that I need to evaluate my plan more often. I create a plan. I always create a plan. (laughs) And then things change, right? Different things change in my life, work, family situations, friends, relationships, things change in my life. And I don't spend enough time reevaluating the plan. I just think that somehow the plan should stay the same even though all of these other things are changing. And so I get frustrated because the plan should just be able to work, but then it's not working. <laughs> and and I can't figure that out. Why isn't it working? And as I've, again, as I've reflected this last year, I've thought a lot about that. I don't evaluate my plan enough. I create the plan. I'm really good at that. Massive spreadsheets beautiful checklists. I'm really, really good at that. (laughs) Spreading it out over quarters or months. I'm really good at all of those things. Um, But then I feel like that plan should just stay. It should always be there. You would think, I've talked a lot about, you would think that I would understand the importance of a plan B (laughs) or a plan C or a plan D. I do. I do understand that importance. But this area of my life, I've not really been able to implement that. And that's what I want to do this year. That's one of my major goals this year is to evaluate my plan on a more regular basis, a monthly basis to be exact. Um, I've been doing that the last couple months and I've recognized the value of being adjustable and being willing to change and being willing to uh, adjust as necessary with my planning. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the motivation that that gives me to go into this new year with a massive (laughs) plan for the new year and be able to look at that. So I'm back podcasting. That's one of my major goals for this year. I think about you, you as individuals or that are listening um, to this podcast or have listened to this podcast. I'm amazed that it still gains a lot of downloads, so many downloads and so many, so much traction and so many people. I'm so grateful for that. Um, I am sorry for the false starts and for the problems. And I had so many of you that have reached out to me asking how I am or what's going on or saying that you miss me. And I really appreciate that more than I can even express. And so I have a new plan for podcasting and I'm going to be evaluating that because this is my priority this year. Podcasting and worth recovery is my top priority this year and I'm a grateful and excited to be back on that track because even last year when I only released six podcasts <laughs> the whole entire year of 2021, so many people reached out. And so many people are so grateful to be able to find a woman's voice in sex addiction recovery. And that was the whole purpose of this thing. And to have silenced myself and to have gotten lost last year in that, um, I, I'm sad. And so I am glad to be back and sharing this journey with you. So with that, I just want to remind you that you are 100% worth recovery. 100%. And if you don't believe that, 
you can trust me um, because I believe that until you believe it for yourself. No matter how many times you have tried recovery, no matter how many times you've fallen down or made a false start, no matter how many times you've lost your vision or your incentives or your resources or whatever skills that you lack, no matter all of that, no matter how far you feel like you have fallen in this recovery um, process, I want you to know that you are worth it. I 100% believe that. Um, So I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. of worth recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction i am not associated with any 12-step group religious organization or therapeutic clinic i am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery